Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This podcast is powered by Sports Drink, your digital water cooler. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Attention to Detail, the podcast. I'm your host, Coleman Ayers. Today is going to be a little bit more of a training-focused episode. And it's something that I think needs to be addressed in the basketball community, right? We hear all the time, if you go to a youth game, if you go to a training session, if you go to practice, get low, get low, get low. This could be on defense. This could be as they dribble the ball. This could be as you're shooting free throws, bend your knees, right? So you hear a lot of cueing of this, but I think it's important to realize, number one, it's it's not for everyone. Like we can't just cue players into it because some players just aren't meant to get low. Um, It's not, you know, most players don't just play at a higher level because they're lazy. It's just how they move. And then number two, how we actually improve this, right? Playing low can definitely have benefits, right? I think basketball is a sport that's typically played low. Not that we necessarily need to be low because a lot of what we do as humans is actually done better at higher levels. That's probably a conversation for another time. But like when we sprint at higher speeds, we sprint at a taller level, right? Um, again, basketball is a more acceleration based sport. But point being, there are there a lot of what we do as athletes can be at a higher height. It doesn't have to be low. But I'm not denying the fact that many, many, many of the best athletes on the basketball court play at a low level. And we do need to work into that. We do need to train that. So I'm going to tell you today three ways or kind of a three-step progression, uh, three-step method to how to get you or your athletes playing a little bit lower, at least to a point that is comfortable for them. All right. So 
again, like I said, the first thing is to understand that it's it's not just something that is them not wanting to, right? It could be a lack of mobility. It could be a lack of strength. It could be a lack of the need to do this. It could be a lack of experience doing this. I was just over in Europe. And one thing that I was talking to a few of the strength and conditioning coaches over there about was a lot of those European players play at a higher height. They don't get as low because they grew up playing soccer or football, right? When you're playing soccer, you are typically in a higher uh, or playing at a higher level because you're more into these full speed sprints, right? You're getting the top end speed. You don't get as low because you're not in close quarters as much. So again, this isn't something that is just a, a laziness or the lack of willingness to. It is mostly attributed to how an athlete grew up, how they played, what they needed to do, their physical and skill qualities, right? Mobility, strength, and there's a lot that goes into this. It's multifactorial. It's not just whether they want to or not. All right. So with that baseline understanding being set, now we can get into the good stuff. So number one is identifying to the best of our ability and attacking mobility. All right. So again, this is kind of the underlying portion of how you're going to train this. So Obviously, this is kind of how most people see it at first, like, oh, they're not mobile enough. They're not flexible enough. They can't get into these ranges of motion. And that's good, right? That's We need these ranges of motion. If we literally cannot get into a low position in the most static or simple way possible, we're probably not going to be able to do that on the court, right? There's some, There are some exceptions to that. But for the most part, we have to be able to at least access these ranges of motion. But not only do we need to access these ranges of motion, we got to be able to control these ranges of motion too. So think about, this is probably the easiest one I use when I talk to athletes about it and try to simplify it as much as possible. Let's say you you need to get more hamstring mo mobility or flexibility, whatever you want to call it, right? You can work your way into more range of motion. You can be able to touch your toes. But what if you get to the point where you're touching your toes and you're not strong enough in that new range of motion to control it? When this happens, right, your body is either going to, number one, say, you're weak. I'm not going to let you get there because you're going to get hurt. So it's not even an accessible range of motion anymore. We're going to just prevent you from doing this. Or number two, you'll get there. You'll probably get injured because you don't have control in these deeper, in these new ranges of motion. So number one is working in these ranges of motion in a strength sense, so getting strong in these ranges of motion so that we can actually use them, all right? So foam rolling, stretching, soft tissue work, these can be good temporarily because every time you foam roll, every time you stretch, static stretch for the most part, every time you get that soft tissue work, you, you can actually get into these deeper ranges of motion. You feel it, you feel more loose. But what this does is provide a window for us to work in these deeper ranges of motion. So let's say we we foam roll out, right? We do a little stretching, a little kind of passive mobility work. We can now get into these deeper positions. We feel good. So now it's that window to get strong in these positions while we can get there. And then that allows us to actually work in these in a functional sense, right? I'm not a big fan of the word functional because it's so overused, but it makes sense, right? We can actually work in these in a way that we can use on the court. So uh, these will be exercises like 
you know, whether you want to do that, that, that static stretching and, and foam rolling, soft tissue work, whatever, to kind of prime yourself is up to you. Uh, I don't think it's a necessity. I think it can be good. But maybe after that, maybe hopping into the workout, maybe after a little bit of a dynamic warm up, what I'll typically do is load the mobility. So mobility should be a workout, in my opinion, at least. Right. And that's a lot of what the research says. That's a lot of what a lot of really smart people are pushing now is like, when we get into these low positions, we're actually going to train, we're going to sweat, we're going to strain ourselves because when we're in these low positions, we need to get strong here. So what I'll do sometimes is maybe elevate their front foot, right? So they'll, we'll have a little box and they'll step up on that. This will put them into, they'll get into a lunge. That'll put them into a deeper lunge because they're now elevated with their front foot, right? They can sink into it a little bit more and then we'll hold a medicine ball, maybe do some isometrics there, right? They're going to work deeper and deeper into that range of motion until they feel like it's really at that point where they just, it's like that sticking point. After some isometrics, maybe we progress up to it over the course of some workouts, maybe within a workout, we do some uh, oscillations in here. So these are like little bounces up and down or to the side. So now again, we're, we're in these low positions and we're getting strong here, right? You should be maybe a little bit sore from these workouts. You should be sweating from this mobility training. This could also be kind of some FRC stuff, some functional range conditioning, where again, you're getting into these ranges of motion, you're doing a passive stretch to get there. And then you do pails and rails, which is essentially, I could make an entire other podcast or video on this, but working in those deeper ranges of motion. Um, this could be doing full range of motion strength training. So maybe we're getting into a lateral lunge. We are externally rotating our foot a little bit. Sorry, we are turning our foot out. So we externally rotate at the hip a little bit. This allows us to get a little bit deeper into this. And we're actually loading this with some weight. So I think, again, yes, number one is mobility. But we need to attack this in a way that is loaded, that's resisted in some way, that we're working in these ranges of motion. Because if we get there, and we don't train this and we don't strengthen these ranges of motion, then it'll probably be temporary. We probably won't be able to actually get there on the court because we can't control it. So our body's going to say, buddy, no way I'm letting you get there. You're going to get hurt. You're going to get to a sticking point that you can't get out of. And because of that, you are not getting there. So number one is mobility, but it's doing it in a way that's almost strength training, if that makes sense. Hopefully it does. And I'll have uh, I have a post on Instagram about this as well. So you can go check out some of the examples like front foot elevated work, uh, some of the uh, full range strengthening or strength training, et cetera, et cetera. Number two is getting powerful in these positions. All right. So once we can access them, once we have control of them, it's time to move fast in them. On the court, we are moving fast in these low positions. We are moving forcefully in these low positions, right? We're not just getting there slowly, like if we're doing a crossover, if we're playing, coming to a deceleration and bracing for contact defensively and we have to get to this low position, it's not like we're lollygagging into this. No, we are moving at high speed with high force and doing it in these deeper ranges of motion, hopefully. So if even if we get strong here, even if we develop this mobility and control the mobility, but we can't move fast here, it's going to be tough for us to actually apply this onto the court. So step two would be getting into these low positions and then working fast and powerfully out of this. 
so again, I'll have that Instagram post uh, that explains or that demonstrates some of these exercises. But for example, I'll put them in these low positions and and then have them also or almost do kind of some power exercise in them. So maybe their front foot is elevated. They switch that front foot and then quickly jump out of that. So now we're jumping out of these low positions. All right. We're almost doing like a, I don't want to say plyometric because it's such a slow movement, maybe slower plyometrics where we're quickly dropping into these positions. So lower than you typically would, a lot lower than you typically would. You're kind of challenging your range of motion and then getting out of that as quickly as possible. So this could be, I don't know, uh, literally kind of jumping forward. You're sweeping the ground to force yourself into this low position and then popping up out of there as quickly as possible. Again, it's tough to kind of explain these these drills or exercises uh, over podcasts, but I'll have some video examples of these. The main thing, because as I always say, exercises are endless. The principle behind it is what is key. Understanding that moving fast in and out of these positions in the weight room sense, so maybe doing it with some load, doing it in a way that is challenging is key. And that is step number two. Then step number three is doing it in a more representative sense in terms of what we do in a game. So almost playing yourself into these positions, right? A lot of the best athletes in the world, a lot of the best hoopers in the world have been able to access and reach and use these low positions. Kyrie, Kemba, uh, you know, Jordan Poole, like all these guys who you see kind of hitting these crazy low positions. I doubt they've gotten here through targeted mobility training, through targeted strength training. A lot of them just grew up playing in ways that is that are very shifty and and require these low positions. Granted, they probably have more conducive uh, anthropometrics, right? They probably don't have many mobility demands. Uh, so it was a little bit easier for them. But a lot of them just kind of grew up from a young age playing in low positions. When we're younger, as we all know, we're a lot more flexible. We all know the kid, they can just do the splits randomly. Uh, so when they're young, when they're still able to mold their body and their mobility and their overall physical qualities a little bit easier they're playing in these little positions so not everyone does that right i didn't grow up being the shifty guard that was trying to reach these positions i grew up being the white kid that could shoot now it's been tough for me but i've gradually played myself into these positions it's going to take longer it's going to take more of a uh, conscious effort to get here but i think this is the third step is actually continuing to gradually work more and more into these positions with the ball or with uh, actual context to it. So this is just, I mean, it, at its bare bones can literally just be experimenting with the ball, trying to get lower and lower each move, uh, more into these shifty positions each move. It may look slow at first. It may feel slow at first. It may feel uh, tough at first. It may look ugly at first. But I think the more that we check the first two boxes and do it well and then try to play ourselves into these lower positions the the more our body is going to say okay these positions are accessible 
you're maybe not fast enough in them now, but we're getting there. We're going to start gradually allowing these positions. And then obviously from there, progressing to doing it with live defense in the context of the game. Like, again, we all say get low, but why? Why? Like, for the most part, when I ask coaches that, they're like, ah, the best players do it. I'm like, yeah, true. But I think we do have to have an understanding of we get low because maybe we want to sneak right by that defender's hip. Or we get low maybe because we want to be in an acceleration position, which is a story for a different time, but many times isn't about actual mobility. It's just learning to, to kind of hit those positions and work in that forward lean. But uh, the last step, which is kind of a sub-step of number three, is doing it with defense because and then we understand why to get low and, and how to do it within the context of an actual game rather than just doing it on air. And I think that's you're always going to hear me say that's the last step because we need to do it perceptually in tune with what's going around us. Like if we just randomly learn how to get low and we get really good at it, but then we're just getting low for everything, we're probably going to tire ourselves out. We're probably not going to play well overall as a ball handler because, you know, it's just it's something that we just – do and we don't do it contextually so number three b i guess is doing it again with defense and understanding the timing of it the leverage that we create with it all the little details there so number one uh mobility right so kind of identifying what needs to change what needs to be worked on so something i didn't touch on there but i will really quickly is like we don't we don't all have great ideas of how to measure uh, mobility each individual joint but if you have that luxury if you're a trainer maybe then maybe testing for ankle mobility for internal rotation at the hip right some of these things can be limiting factors that we can target again in a, in a loaded sense for the most part is is how i'll train this but kind of targeting individual joints but then also just hitting these low positions in the weight room in a controlled environment where we're resisting it and our body is now getting comfortable and strong here number two is working fast in these positions so getting in and out of these positions fast with load maybe and number three is transitioning it to the court where we're just experimenting with these things playing ourselves into these lower positions and ultimately just kind of letting our body self-organize and figure out the best ways to do this then playing or even this is i mean you could do this with live defense the whole time but playing against live defense and getting low uh with the actual context of a game so i think if you make that progression from strength and mobility so kind of the slower to number two the moving faster in these positions to number three moving fastest and moving within the context of the skill i think you're going to see really good results with you or with your athletes and overall uh help them play at lower possessions possessions positions if they need to again number one for me is do they need to play here are we just wasting time or even moving them away from their superpowers like a lot of athletes are just playing what play well naturally at high levels because they're more elastic athletes right they like to play with more extended joint angles and that's okay some of the best players in the league do this right you don't see Giannis getting insanely low to make a crossover you don't even Luka Doncic even John Morant like these guys can so there's definitely a level of 
training this that should always be present from a general strength training perspective, from a getting them comfortable in these low positions so they don't get injured. But should we always train them to perform at high levels in these low positions? Eh, maybe not because maybe their superpower is playing at these higher positions. They're used to it. It's what they've always done. So my point is we shouldn't just arbitrarily tell a player, hey, you need to get lower. We're going to train this. We need to evaluate their play style. We need to evaluate what they've been doing since they were young, what makes them successful. If we come to the conclusion that playing lower will help, then you can employ these three things. If you say, hey, they play really well when they're high up, let's just include a little bit of this so they don't get injured. That's also great too, right? Maybe just a little full range strength training uh, with lighter weights maybe a little bit of moving fast in these positions to get them comfortable with accepting and working with force in these low positions. But for the most part, evaluate it as always first before you just arbitrarily go into this process. So hopefully all this made sense. Again, I think these videos will be a lot easier to understand uh, or make it a lot easier to understand once you see some of the exercises I'm talking about. So go check that out on my Instagram at by any means basketball. Uh, I'm sure the the uh, thumbnail will say playing low or whatever. It'll be from like May 5th. I can't remember the date. But anyways, this will help for sure uh, if you need to. So let me know what you get out of this, right? If you have any questions about this, any other topics you want to hear, would love to just continue to kind of hear you guys' input and talk about stuff that you guys want to hear because that is the ultimate goal, right? Giving you guys information that you're looking for and starting these conversations. So as always, thanks for tapping in with the podcast. We'll have these coming out a lot more consistently. So I'm excited to get back to them and keep dropping this gold. Let's get it. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Download speeds up to one gigabit per second. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply.